Good morning, how are we? Good to see you all. Um, I wanted to say thank you to Rhoda for leading worship this morning. Mike and Julie, uh, Mike who is our normal worship leader, is celebrating their anniversary, so they got out of town. So good for them. If you see them, tell them happy anniversary. But I've known Rhoda for a long time, and she truly is a, a worshiper of God using her gifts and talents. Um, she's a mom, and she's even a grandma, if you can believe that. She wrote a book recently about um, her experience as being a, a parent of a prodigal kid, you know, raising a kid in the Lord, watching them walk away, come back. How do you deal with that? So if you uh, want to read her book, I would say, you know, talk to her before you leave. And um, it's something very powerful. There's nothing like our own personal stories, right, of what we've been through and how God walked us through difficult seasons. So Rhoda, again, thank you very much. We appreciate you. Um, next week, uh, we're gonna have a we're gonna finish this series on the life of David. And if if I haven't met you, you're a guest with us today. My name is Scott. I have the privilege of teaching the word this morning and also being the lead pastor here at Novation. And um, glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. We always hope we can meet you where you're at, as Brian said earlier. Answer any questions that you may have. Um, in this series on David, we're gonna finish next week looking at the. David the worshiper. He wrote the Psalms and wrote songs and just had a heart to worship God. We've got some really cool parts to the worship service next week. We're going to take communion. We're going to uh, worship. You're going to hear God's word in different languages and all kinds of things. So you want to make sure you're here next week. It's going to be amazing. Then the following week, if you can believe it, is August. Like, did we have a summer yet? I mean, it, it, boom, it was gone. And, but in August, we're going to kick off a series called What's Next? And that's not a question, that's an invitation from God to you and I. What do you want me to do next? What, what more do you want from my heart? What more do you want to see me do? Because I feel as a church, we need to be saying, God, what, what, what is next? What, what are you prompting us to do? And that series is going to culminate at the last Sunday in August where we do our annual in-house meeting, where we look at the state of the church, our finances, celebrate things that God's done, and look forward to what's next for God, for us personally, um, corporately, as a church, and, our, and how we're going to impact our community. So the in-house meeting this year is going to be the service. We're going to have a shorter worship shorter teaching, and then go right into to what's next for the church, So, and then have food and so forth afterwards and celebrate. So we're trying to change it up a little bit so you're not here for five hours or whatever, but we're able to all gather together and, and learn about what God's doing. So let's pray, and we'll dig in. Father, we love you. Whom have we but you, Lord? And I pray as we talk today, God, you would stir our hearts, stir our hearts to long to be closer to you, to embrace your grace and your love and mercy. God, open our hearts to how much you love us so that we don't have these false images of who you are, but to have the right understanding of what you've done for us. 
and that our hearts would truly burn for you, God. So teach Holy Spirit through me. Lord, I'm a weak vessel, but you're strong, and when I'm weak, you're strong. And so I humble myself before you. Jesus' name, amen. So as we're finishing this, getting close to finishing this series on David, today we're going to talk about his legacy. And I know it's kind of cliche, but when I think of the word legacy, I think of the dash. When you look at someone's gravestone, there's a date that they were born and a date that they passed from this world, and there's a dash in between. What, what did we do with our dash? You know, we've, maybe you've read uh, that little story that someone came up with that, but I, that's always motivated me. The reality that one day I'm going to pass from this earth and the fact that I don't know when that day is motivates me to want to live life to the fullest. Now, I don't always do that. I can be lazy. I can waste time like anybody else. But at the end of the day, that's my prayer. God, I don't want to have regrets when my life is over. I want to have, go out of here with healthy relationships and no unforgiveness in my heart and know that the, I, you know, I spent my life on what mattered most to God. And I'm a work in progress just like you. But if we make that our hearts cry, you will leave a legacy. And when we think of legacy, we often think of just people doing these big, huge things or being remembered or you write a biography about their life or whatever. Those people never set out to have a biography written about them. They just did what God told them to do. And I think the same is true for for David. Sometimes when we think of legacy, we might think of leaving a family business or a family fortune or something that's that, and that definitely could be part of your legacy, but but think about this with me. How much do you know about your great-grandparents? Yeah, some are lucky enough to have them, you know, be alive or have some memories. I don't. Um, How much do you know about your great-great-grandparents, Right? Um, I know the only thing I know about my great-great-grandfather is that he was killed in a lumberyard accident. That, that's all I know about him, and I know his name. The further you go down the line, generationally, the less you probably know. And so when you start thinking about, well, is my life going to have impact? Is my life going to influence? Well, you're influencing the people around you right now. You have that opportunity to pass on your faith, pass on your values, Listen, if you're a young person in this room, I don't care, you know, you're 10 years old, teenager, whatever age it is, David was very young when he found a heart for God. Don't waste your life, young people, waiting for that day where I'm going to fully give my life committed over to the Lord. Do it now. I, I regret that, that I didn't know the Lord when I was younger and spend my life on what mattered most to him when I was young. I cared too much about what everybody else thought about me and was motivated by that. Don't fall into that trap, young people. Today's the day. Say, Lord, I'm going to give you all of my life, all of my heart. And so we're looking at the legacy of David. And I think there's three verses that really summarize David's legacy. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament and the book of Acts is recounting the Old Testament to get to the culmination of Jesus, and as part of his, you know, talking through Moses, blah, 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 he gets to David, and he summarizes David's legacy when he says this. It says, let me wet my whistle there, um, 
But God removed Saul and replaced him with David. Saul was the first king of Israel. God had appointed him king, and, and Saul was a wimp in, on the inside, spiritually. Outwardly, he was this big, strong, strapping man. But his character, he cared so much about what people thought about him and having people's approval that God ripped the kingdom from him, and he gave it over to David. And then God said this about David before we ever even know anything about him, that he would be a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Keep that. He will do everything I want him to do. After David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors. I love that. David served God's purpose in his generation and died and went on to to be with his ancestors, as it says there. Notice that Paul didn't talk about David the king, the warrior, and he did this and he did that. He just said he was a man after God's heart and he served God's purpose in his generation. If you go back to the very first teaching that we've done on the life of David that Brian did back on Father's Day, he, he was in 1 Samuel 16. And by the way, if, if uh, you've been reading along our reading program that's on the app or on, on the website, we've just been going through First and Second Samuel and getting acquainted with David. It's not too late to do that. If you still want to click on there, it just goes to version and you can follow it or listen to it on a daily basis. But that first message about David, the shepherd boy, when they told Samuel to go, go to the house of Jesse to find the man after God's heart being, being David, he didn't know. There was a lot of brothers that David had. And they, they thought, oh, this guy must, must be the one because this brother was big and strapping like Saul. And here's what he said in, in verse 7 of chapter 16. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. You see this theme of the heart? David was a man after God's heart. He did what God wanted him to do. God looks at what's going on on the inside, not our outside appearance and, and, and that stature, the way people are, we're enamored by people that are beautiful or big or strong or have possessions or whatever. God says, I'm always looking at the heart. So when you look at David's life, you, we could on the outward say, wow, David was a king, Right? David was a warrior. He was a bad dude. Like when it came to scrapping, David was, was none like David. He was a leader. He was a songwriter. I mean, we have all these songs, and uh, he was a poet in, in the Psalms, and we see all of that. And it's easy to think, that, well, that was David's legacy. And I would say this to you this morning. That's what David did. His legacy, and you can write this down, is David's legacy was his heart for God. You know what I love about that? That means little ordinary you and me can leave a legacy when we, when we see that, that our legacies are what was our heart toward God. Because how our hearts are oriented towards God is how I'm going to affect people around me. The foundation of all that David did flowed from his heart for God. I want to keep cultivating a heart after God. And I know you do too. And and I believe God's going to give you something today that will help you if you're struggling going, I don't know if I have a heart after God or what does that even mean? We're going to we're going to find out this morning. It says in 2 Chronicles 16:9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those 
whose hearts are fully committed to him. There's this word heart again. How, what, how do I see God and, and see myself in God and, and my life before God? I think in David's life, we see four tests that reveal a heart after God's. Four, four tests that, that how God reveals what's in our heart towards him. Do we have a heart after God's? And the first test is this. How do I respond when I sin? That's the first test of our hearts is how do I respond when I sin? How do I respond when I blow it? How do I respond when I blow up at somebody? How do I respond when I don't treat someone right? How do I respond when I make a bad decision? When I do something that I know I'm I'm not supposed to do? Do I excuse it? Do I deny it? Do I rationalize it? Do I blame the devil? Do I blame somebody else? Well, here's the thing about David, that one of my favorite parts about David and why I was excited to read about his life again and teach about it was David failed a lot, and yet he was a man after God's heart. We often don't see how those two can go together, right? If, you're, if you fail and you sin, then how can you have a heart after God? That kind of goes against our legalistic nature sometimes that, that it's, it's either or. David failed God bad but yet he still was a man after God's own heart. He was a broken person being healed and repaired just like you and I. David responded to sin with a repentant heart. He responded to sin with a a repentant heart. Um, A couple weeks ago, we talked about one of David's biggest failures when he sinned with Bathsheba. And if you weren't here or you're not familiar with the story, King David, this man after God's own heart, committed adultery with, a, with another man's wife and got her pregnant and then tries to cover it up and, and then ultimately has him killed. He uses his, his mighty king, kingness, <laughs> that's a word, to draw her in and then he uses it to also have her husband killed because people did whatever David said to do. He failed. And David took a little while to, to, to respond to this. But when he's finally confronted with his sin, he writes Psalm 51, and we talked about how to deal with our failures through Psalm 51 a couple weeks ago. Um, All our messages are always online. If you miss one and you're in a series, you know, you can easily have access to that. But here's what David wrote in Psalm 51 with a repentant heart over his sin. He said, against you only. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Here's the repentance. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. I love that promise. There's nowhere in the Bible do you find God ever rejecting someone with a broken and repentant heart saying, God, I'm sorry, I, I blew it. You never see God, nope, that's enough, I'm, I'm done with you. Just that's not in God's nature. God's a very patient, loving, forgiving God. Now, it doesn't mean there's not consequences when we fail and when we sin, there is. He uses those to teach us and to, to help us. But what I like about David's repentant heart here is he finally 
stop trying to hide it. He took responsibility for his sin. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He didn't blame the devil. He took responsibility. I think that's so important for you and I, that we learn to take responsibility. Parents, teach your kids at a very young age to take responsibility for their actions. Because if you grow up not taking responsibility for your actions, it, it just snowballs. But they, every time we blow it or fail, take responsibility. If you blow up on somebody, take the time to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And if you, you know, f- f- often our, our, our asking forgiveness is not just for God. That's kind of the easy part, right? It's asking someone with skin on to say, will you forgive me? I'm sorry that I wronged you. That's hard. It goes against our pride. It goes against our fears, our natures. But we need to do that. We need to be good at loving and forgiving one another. So on each one of these points, I'm going to give you an opportunity to evaluate your heart. And if you see on your notes, how quick am I to repent when I sin? One being the worst, and nine being the best, because there are no tens, right? We are all imperfect. You don't even have a possibility for a ten. And, and here, give yourself an honest evaluation. How, how good are you at apologizing? How good are you at, at, at admitting you've wronged God or you've wronged somebody? Be honest, because if you want a heart after God, you want to leave a legacy that's, that's blooms out of your heart for God, this has got to be the starting point here. How many times do we hear about people who still have unfinished business with loved ones who have gone on to eternity? Let's don't let that happen in this room. Let's be people that are quick to forgive and quick to repent. You don't have to be perfect to have a heart for God. You just need to be good at repenting (laughs) because you're not going to be perfect. Nobody is going to be perfect in this life. We are being conformed day by day to the image of Christ But none of us are going to arrive until we go to the other side. I can't wait for that. I think it's good to ask God to have a tender conscience. That if you pray, Lord, would you make me sensitive to the conviction of the Spirit? Lord, if I'm not talking to somebody right, or if you're brave enough, Lord, if I'm not driving in a way (laughs) that brings you honor, I dare you to do that one. That exposes a lot of hearts, right? It exposes where we're at. But ask God to give you a tender conscience. I'll tell you a funny story. So one day I was driving, and this car was going slow, and I needed to get behind it to turn left. And it just slower and slower and slower. And then finally, the car eased eased over without a blinker. And so I'm mad. I revved me, I have a big engine in my truck and had to show that I was angry and frustrated. Immediately, this conviction came over me. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm so quick to get irritated when I drive. And so I I drive around again and I I pull in the the parking lot of of the church here. And and sometimes I get frustrated where people park, not on Sunday morning, but just sharing a parking lot. 
And all of a sudden, I saw a car parked where it wasn't supposed to be. And I just prayed this prayer, Lord, forgive me for being such a grouchy driver. And I was like, who's parking there? Let the dot the dot. And, I was all, and the Lord was like, what were you just saying to me? Bro, man, you are slow to get this. And I slinked in and, you know, still growing, right? We're all there. But the more we obey the conviction of the Spirit, he's not here to condemn us when, we're, when we fail. He's here to convict us so that we can do what's right. It, the more you and I don't pay attention to that, the harder our hearts get. But the more you pay attention to it and the quicker you are to repent, the softer your heart is. Second thing, how do I respond to stress and struggles? That's the second test that reveals a heart after God's. Now, you're going to probably all write me emails and tell me you'll be praying for me and and you're not sure I should go on a sabbatical or qualified to be your your pastor or not. But listen, I'm in in this with you. I'm, I'm not anywhere higher than anybody else. And in this one, I know I got a long way to go in responding to stress and struggles. Um, I know that I have a lot of work to do. Maybe you do too. Some of these tests that we're talking about are going to be, you know, you're going to see, ooh, that one convicts me a little harder than, than the others do. But here's the deal. Few people experienced more stress and struggles than David. David had Saul, who for 10 years pursued to kill him. And David couldn't kill Saul. He was the king, Right? But so David had to wait for God to unfold his plan and and continue to work on him. Um, David had the enemies, the Amalekites and the the Philistines and all these enemies that they were always contending with. And David's family, man, they put the dis in dysfunctional. They, They were dysfunctional beyond belief. David's first wife couldn't stand him. Um, David had a son who raped his sister. And then had one of the other son then killed that son for raping his sister. David had a, a, a son who pulled a coup on him named Absalom and took over the throne for a short period of time until he was assassinated. I mean, David felt pain from his family beyond belief. But here's what we see about David. David responded to stress and struggles with a trusting heart. He trusted God in the middle of his stress, just as Rhoda was saying. David often would would, would pour out his heart to the Lord, God, where are you? What's going on? Yet I will praise you. Lord, what's going on in my life? But I know you're God. He would always bring it back to a trusting heart. The Psalms, in in many ways, are kind of like David's diary. Like you get to see into his daily life what he was going through. And in Psalm 118, verses 5 and 6, he says, In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do for me? Let me ask you a question. What's your first response to stress? What's your first response when you're tested or in a trial? David's was to call on God. I wish that was true of me, that every time something happened, I didn't overreact like a little baby, you know, immature or blow up or whatever was there. But we're all on his workbench, right? 
He's morphing and changing us. And if you keep your heart pliable, God will eradicate that from you and give you a trusting heart. David said in Psalm 73, verse 26, he said, my health may fail. That's going to pass. He said, and then uh, my spirit may grow weak. That struggles. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Last week, at the end of the message, the end of the service, we had a great move of God. There were people who said, I'm, I'm discouraged and I need a breakthrough. And I, I had a vantage point up here on stage to see the spirit of God moving in people. It was, it was awesome. And it doesn't mean life just became easy for, for those folks, but they were admitting, I need God. I need a breakthrough from God. They were being real with God. And, and, and one another. David did that. Here's what David says in Psalms 116, verse 10. I believed in you, so I said I'm deeply troubled. <laughs> you got to believe God's there before you're going to pour out your heart to him. And these folks that came forward last week, I know God's real. Therefore, I'm going to go pour my heart out to him and tell him I'm deeply troubled. All right, evaluate your weight yourself on this. I already gave myself a bad score on this. How easily do I get discouraged when life tests me? How easily do you get discouraged when life doesn't go the way you thought it was supposed to go? What would you, how would you evaluate your heart? Where do you need to grow? And those numbers in this evaluation is not there to condemn you or to make you feel guilty. It's to convict us, to say, God, I got work to do. You got work to do. We have a Savior who experienced every stress and struggle you could think of, every temptation without sin. Go to him when you're in stress. Go to him when you're struggling. He promises to be there, that he is there with us all the time. Go to him. The third test is this. How do I respond when I'm asked to sacrifice? said in the verses that we read at the beginning, he will do, God said, he will do everything that I want him to do. Do we always obey what God says to do? Do we always obey the little prompting that God gives to us? Do we, my love and my neighbor as myself, doing the things that sometimes cause sacrifice in our lives? Well, David responded to sacrifice with a servant's heart. He had a servant's heart. Even though he was a king, he was humble. He didn't use that to make people do things for him. He, he, he used it in the wrong way for selfish reasons, but he always had a sacrificial heart and a servant's heart. It made me think about Jesus. If you remember on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He gets down in the posture of a servant and washes their feet. Now, feet are not amazing to start with, let alone dudes' feet, right? Let alone dust and dirt and sandals and the mode of transportation was animals. I mean, that would have been some nasty feet to wash. And yet he did it. And he took that place of, of a servant and of a complete humility, and he modeled that for us. As I've done for you, as I've loved you, love one another. That kind of love is sacrificial. 
It's sacrificial. David was wholehearted when it, when it came to, to loving the Lord by loving people. He was focused. There was a, a time, one time in 2 Samuel uh, 24, David wants to sacrifice an offering to the Lord, an animal, and he didn't have any. And, you know, in the Old Testament, that's how you offered worship to God. That's how you, you offered your very best animal to, to God as a sacrifice, sometimes for atonement, sometimes just for worshipful offerings. And David wanted to offer to the Lord, and he didn't have any animals. And he went to a guy and was trying to get some animals to sacrifice. And the guy said, here, here, take them for free. Take your, your David, take these for free. And here's what David says. He told the guy, he said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He wasn't going to give something, you know, willy-nilly or chintzy to, to the Lord. He was going to give something that cost him something. It made me think, like, what does it cost you and I to be a follower of Jesus? What does it cost you and I? Well, living in the, the place that we live and the country that we live in, it's not costing us what it's costing other believers. There are people in other places where following Jesus costs them their very lives. To say that Jesus is God and that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and to follow him, people are persecuted to the point of death in our world today, and it's always been that way. Persecution is at one of the all-time highs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's costing them something sacrificially that I know I haven't experienced. Sometimes Christians in our world think that because people don't say Merry Christmas at, at Starbucks or something, that's persecution. I'm sorry, that's not persecution. That's, you know, think, think about that next time we think we're actually being persecuted over something. Sacrificial giving of our time, talent, and treasure is that part of our lives? Are we giving sacrificially of our time, talent, and treasure to what matters most to God? To the, to the local church where God is working to move in, in lives and change lives. Sacrificial giving of our lives and sacrificial serving and having that servant's heart where we're serving one another rather than doing what's minimal and what can I just get by with. A heart of sacrifice is a heart after God's. And we're all, I mean, we're all growing in this, right? We, as a church, I'll say this and brag on Novation, I think we have a very sacrificial church in giving and of time, talent, and treasure and serving and serving one another. And we just need to continue to, to help one another become more and more sacrificial in our, 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 our giving of our lives to one another. There's another story that is about sacrifice. In 2 Samuel uh, 23, it's the story where David and his men are fighting the Philistines, and David's thirsty. Speaking of that, ah, I segue. David's thirsty, and his men hear about this. This is how much they love David. It says that three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it, and instead he poured it out before the Lord. You read that and you go, ah, David, we just 
put our lives on the line and you just poured it on the ground? Um, what are you doing? If you only go there, you miss the whole point. David was so moved by their sacrifice, he offered it back to the Lord. He was so moved that they were willing to sacrifice for him, he, he was going to give it back to the Lord. That's just where his heart was. Um, Years ago, I was preaching at another church, and by no means am I saying this uh, to brag that I'm some sacrificial person. I think I may have tasted one-twentieth uh, of what this might mean, uh, but I was preaching, and at the end of the, the service, somebody that I didn't know walked up to me and uh, handed me this wad of cash. You're free to do that, too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Totally kidding. He handed me this wad of cash, and he said, thank you. I was really blessed. And I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> For those you didn't see it, I was counting it. And I thought, whoa, that's a lot of money. And I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm really, really humbled by this. Somebody would sacrifice for message wasn't even that good, like, you know, you're supposed to laugh there, but um, thank you. I need a little laugh button. But all of a sudden, I was like, God, I want to offer this back to you. And I looked over, and I remember seeing this single mom who didn't have much, and I felt the prompting. I went over, and I handed it to her, and I just said, this is from the Lord, and, and walked away with a huge smile on my face to be able to take somebody else's sacrifice and just pass that on to somebody else. That, that's the place where we know our hearts are, are being orientated towards God. So let me ask you a question. Evaluate yourself on this. How do I respond when I'm treated like a servant? And what I mean by that is how do we respond when we're overlooked? We're not thanked for doing something for somebody. Because um, being a servant is the kingdom of God. The way up is down in the kingdom of God. It's not to be served, but it's to serve. And that goes against our human sinful nature. We want to be served rather than serve. Some people are good and have servant nature by heart, um, personality, but for the rest of us, it takes work to, to be a servant. How do you respond when somebody doesn't thank you or, or you feel overlooked? That lets you, you and I know, like, am I doing this for somebody's praise? Am I doing this for somebody to say, hey, thank you? Or am I doing this, God, I'm not doing that for anybody else anyway. The fact is, you see what I'm doing, and that's all that matters. That doesn't mean we don't praise one another for serving. It's just our, our hearts personally. Okay, last test. How do you and I respond to success? How do we respond to success? That tells a lot about our hearts. It says in 1 Samuel 18, 14, in everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. I mean, killed Goliath. He was a national hero. They loved David, loved by the people. How do we handle success? And you may think, well, I don't feel very successful. Listen, you have gifts you have talents that people praise you for using, whatever it is. Somebody, you have success, you have money, you've created a business, you're good at your job, you're 
whatever it is, how do you handle that success? How do you handle, you know, material blessing in your life? David responded to success with a humble heart. He knew that it was the hand of the Lord on his life that he was successful. And he says in Psalm 115, verse 1, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. And I would just say this, make sure the right person gets the credit for any success you have in life. I love Tim Tebow, right? Should have never traded Tim Tebow. Whole other story. The guy has been successful because the hand of the Lord is obviously on his life, and he's humble. He's, he's, he's humble. People that know that it's God that worked in their life, I, I just want to be around them because of the humility that flows from them. People who think they made their success, yeah, like you, you don't want to be around those kind of people. Corey Tin Boom was, she wrote The Hiding Place. She was in uh, Nazi Germany one who single-handedly like, saved a lot of Jewish people's lives by hiding them from the Nazis. And she, after it was all said and done, would go on a speaking tour in her book, and people would praise her and tell her, oh, you really changed my life, and that was amazing. And she said what she decided to do with every praise that somebody would give her, she would consider it a flower, a rose. She said at the end of the day, she would wrap those up and just hand them back to the Lord and say, these are yours. <laughs> I li- I've always liked that. There's an a s- interesting story about David, and I want to say this to you, that um, people who are successful that have humble hearts always want to make other people successful. They're not all about themselves. And that's the extreme opposite of what Saul was. Saul wanted the credit. Saul wanted to be successful. David had the hand of the Lord on him, and he helped others be successful. So that's really what we should be looking for as part of this. Um, We're told in 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, So David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came back down and joined him. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around, losers, vagrants, misfits of all sorts. David became their leader. So David's on the run, hiding from Saul in the cave of Adullam, and the people who were in debt, depressed, and discouraged, this is the more colorful paraphrase, the message, but the misfits came to David, and he became their leader. I did, for one moment, before we named the church Novation, thought about calling it Adullam's Cave. I thought, that's that's broken people gathering together, right, to, to be healed by the gospel, Well, David used his gifts and success to help other people be successful. That shows a humble heart. You go on to read later in 2 Samuel 23, those same people, those misfits, became his mighty men. And you read about his mighty men. They did some amazing feats, some amazing things. So they went from being misfits to mighty men of God. That's what God wants to work through us. But David took a chance on them. David became their leader. He loved them. So in your success, whatever it is, whatever gifts you have, whatever talents you have, whatever success you have, help make other people be better at what they do. So for some reason, I forgot to put a little evaluation 
on uh, that one, my bad. But just from one to nine, how would you evaluate yourself on really looking to help other people be successful on the job? How, how, how to walk with Jesus, how to be a better disciple, how to be uh, better at their gifts, whatever it is. Are you taking the time to help others in humility be successful in God? So if you were to be honest in your, in your evaluating of these four tests and you're thinking to yourself, man, I didn't, I didn't feel good, it's okay. God, we start here. I got work to do, I know, on all of them, let alone one of them for sure. And I'm asking God, Lord, help me. And have accountability with people around you that will help you as well. And asking God to give you a heart for him. That is a prayer I promise, and I know beyond a doubt, he's going to answer. If you say, God, I want a heart after yours, he's going to give it to you. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Might seem a little corny, but take your hand and just put it on your heart. God, you see the hands that we have on our heart right now. Yes, Lord, we have a heart that's beating and pumping blood through our bodies. We need that for life. But, Lord, we're talking about that inner man, that inner person. Lord, give us hearts for you. Just tell the Lord today, Jesus, give me a greater heart for you. God, I want to be a man after your heart, sensitive to your spirit sensitive to people around me, sensitive to the needs of others. God, make our hearts after yours. It's our simple prayer. We know, God, that having a heart after yours will produce the kind of life that leaves a legacy and impacts others. We ask for that today. Lord, there's sins that we do sometimes and there's sin, uh, the sin of not doing the good that we know to do. Lord, make us sensitive to do the good that we know to do and not overlook it. But be the answer to people's prayers. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. Lord, we take you serious this morning. We take your invitation Serious. We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to be just doing this halfway. Wholehearted devotion to you, God. And from there, knowing that it'll make us wholehearted disciples, wholehearted fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, employees, all of that, God, flows from a heart for you. Jesus' name.